When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. We are so thankful that, that you are here, and, and welcome to the men here in the room. Thank you for being here today, guys. Uh, we are going to be continuing our walk through the book of Genesis, uh, and we're going to be in one of the most talked about chapters in, in, in the entire Bible, probably the most talked about chapter in the Old Testament, and that is Genesis 22. So if you want to go ahead and turn there for Genesis 22, of course, the, the Wednesday Bible study uh, is, uh, is brought to you by themanchurch.com. Uh, we are excited about the things that are going on all over the country and, and continue. Uh, I got some great news just a minute ago before I uh, came into the Bible study about something that's percolating up in Arkansas. Also, uh, And uh, if you are not familiar with what, with what we do, just go to themanchurch.com. We have a full men's discipleship strategy. Uh, that consists of speakers going out and teaching. Uh, it uh, features this Bible study is there. Uh, also, we have four curriculum for men uh, that uh, you can use uh, with your group or you can use at your church, and uh, we can help you with any of that. Uh, at themanchurch.com, our team will walk you through it and implement a, uh, a, a functioning discipleship strategy at your church that features high challenge and high equipping. Father's Day will be coming up. Uh, if you're live with us today or you're listening on the same day, it is June 1st, and Father's Day is coming. And we got some great deals happening right now at themanchurch.com. We put together some bundles for you, some discounts, so you can you know, give your dad or the dads on your list um, you know, some of the resources that we have at themanchurch.com, some of our devotionals, and, and we have shirts there and hats, and they make great gifts for Father's Day coming up. Also, some things that you need to know, our Strive app is out, and boy, we're getting great reviews on that. Uh, look for the app uh, wherever you know Google or uh, in the in the Apple Store, uh, and you can uh, you know get that. Uh, it, it's free for the first seven days. Uh, then after that, if you desire to stay with it, it's nine ninety nine a month for you to have access to that content. And boy, is it packed with content. Uh, we've got sermons. We've got some of these Bible studies archived for you. We have articles. We have daily devotionals. Uh, like I say, they're daily, so they're updated every week, uh, and and so much more. So add this to your arsenal. It's a great, great resource. We're excited about the feedback we're getting, and we want to hear from you uh, if you're already using the Strive app. Uh, also, that is the latest resource from the Man Church. .com. Some man churches and conferences coming up that you might want to be aware of. Okay, In the month of June, obviously a lot going on. Kevin Derryberry will be in Opelika, Alabama. If you've never heard Kevin's uh, testimony, it's fantastic. Uh, they're three years into our discipleship strategy at First Baptist Church, Opelika, Alabama. June 16th is their next man church. That'll be the next gathering, and they're going through our third curriculum right now. Kevin Derryberry. Uh, your speaker on June the 18th, uh, kicking off the men's discipleship strategy and their curriculum will be Homewood Church of Christ in Homewood, Alabama. That's a breakfast on Father's Day weekend. Brian Gunn will be speaking there. Scott Dawson will be at my home church. We're also doing a breakfast on Father's Day. That's our next gathering. Uh, we provide the food. We just need to know that you're coming. Uh, no charge for that. But Scott Dawson will be speaking on the breakfast. And if you stay for the service, he and his son actually speaking there, and then we can plug you in to our small groups. We have six of those that are operating at Valleydale Church, and we're in our first year with the curriculum, and we're going to be moving into year two coming up this fall. Uh, also, uh, coming up on June the 18th, I'll be at a men's conference. I'll be in Shelbyville, Tennessee. That'll be going on Saturday night, June the 18th. Tickets are still available for that. There's a ticket if you want the dinner. Then there's another ticket if you want to take a pass on the dinner and just come to the event. Also going on that weekend in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, it'll be finished by lunch, though, on the 18th. This is the Gridiron Men's Conference in Huntsville, Alabama. It's a great men's conference. Uh, we don't put that on. Phil Waldrop Ministries puts that on, but we uh, usually have been part of that. I've been speaking there every other year. I'm not there this year, but it's a great conference. You certainly um, uh, need to go take part in that if you can. So want to make you aware of those things that are going on. And then on the 28th uh, at New Life Chapel in Madison, Alabama, this is all June, Scott Dawson 
will be speaking there as they continue uh, the men's discipleship strategy. Rick, where can I find the Man Churches near me? Go to themanchurch.com, and you can find all the information there. Uh, You also, if I'm involved in a conference or something like that, you can get that at burgessministries.com or at rickandbubba.com. So let's open up in a word of prayer. Let's jump into Genesis 22. Lord, today uh, we we, we just have to, you know, we're going to sit in your presence in this room, but people will be listening and watching all over the world. Uh, And this is one of those moments where we need to be ready uh, to accept something about you that we may not necessarily like. Um, you are always right, so we must be corrected on that. But this is one of those things that, um, you know, when you hear people um, talking about you, Lord, uh, this is one of the things that is obvious in Scripture, and, and you're not silent on why you do it. But it is one of those things that uh, that is not pleasant. Uh, but uh, but apparently, according to you, necessary. Uh, and, and may we look at our faith today to, and ask some difficult questions. Uh, do we have a faith that, uh, that can be tested and can be trusted? Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. Do we have that kind of faith? Uh, Genesis 22 um, is the greatest test of all in Abraham's life. Uh, at 75, uh, you know, Abraham was enrolled in the school of faith. Uh, now he's over 100 years old. Uh, and he's about to face a soul-stretching test. Um, we, we're, we're not. Uh, we're, this is one of the takeaways for some of us in here more than others. <laughs> As I look at the room, and some of you out there uh, more than others, uh, don't ever get in your mind that you're too old to be tested. Uh, yeah, it, it really doesn't matter how old you are if you're still breathing, uh, and the Lord has not called you to Himself, or He has not returned to get you then don't you think you're exempt from testing because you're old? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, some of our greatest tests come when we're, when we're older because uh, uh, I know that uh, the Lord usually has a, uh, us going through the test that he thinks he's already prepared us for. Uh, and some of us were not prepared for these tests when we were younger. Uh, but uh, through our sanctification and our growth and our maturation in the faith, uh, we can be trusted more now that we're older than when we were younger. And uh, so you're going to see Abraham uh, over 100 years old, and boy, is he about to be tested. Um, so I, I want us, to, the older guys in the room and out there, I want you to understand, we're not too old to be tested. Uh, we're not too old to be given a new battle. Uh, and we're not too old to learn. So um, so never get to that place where you think you're too old to be tested, too old to take on a new battle, and too old to learn. There's nothing in Scripture that calls for a man to knock it out of gear just because he's old and try to coast home. We should be finishing, as the Apostle Paul told us, we should be straining and, and, and pressing toward the prize. And, uh, and, if the, and, and, and in order to do that, if we need to be refined, then, then the Lord will see to it. Trust me. Uh, how about this? When we stop learning, we stop growing and when we stop growing, we stop living. I'm going to say that again. When we stop learning, we stop growing. And when we stop growing, we stop living. Don't you ever stop learning and don't you ever stop growing because if you do, it won't be long till you'll stop living. It may be figuratively, but you have no good to the kingdom. So, um, what what does that look like? Well, the prophet Habakkuk says it great. He says, the just, those of us that are righteous, those that are just, shall live by faith. That's how we live. If you're just, then you live by faith. And, uh, and that faith uh, certainly can be tested. So God really doesn't beat around the bush about this at all. When, when Moses is, is writing about this, uh, this is not going to require verses 1 and 2 a whole lot from us other than we're going to sit probably silently thinking about it because here's what uh, the Bible says, the Word of God, in verse uh, chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. After these things, now we don't really know the time frame on that. We, we can see in this that Isaac, who has been promised to, to Abraham, is here. We know about that. We talked about that last week. But apparently he's old enough to carry wood. Uh, so we assume, and many of the people think, uh, the theologians, uh, they believe he's probably a teenager, 
somewhere like that. He's uh, he's not a tiny little boy, but he's also not a man. He's probably somewhere in between, kind of a young man. They believe this is probably anywhere from 10 to 15 years later, something like that. So after these things, now keep in mind, that means that Abraham has had this boy for a while now, and uh, and they are they are connected. After these things, God tested Abraham. All right, so let's let's just land there for a minute, and you don't have to wonder this anymore. There's more places than this in Scripture, but this is as frank and as straightforward as you can see. If someone ever says, well, does God test us? Yes. Now, he does not tempt you. And that that's I had to make that correction the other day with a young man that I'm kind of mentoring. Uh, he he kind of confused the two. Uh, he does not he does not tempt us into sin, but he does test us to test our faith to see if we're the real deal. And we know that why because verse one says after these things God tested Abraham. Doesn't say the adversary tested Abraham. Doesn't say other people tested Abraham. It says God Himself tested Abraham, and said to him, Abraham. Now, I don't know if your Bible has this, but mine has an exclamation point there. So so God's not subtle about, uh, about trying to get Abraham's attention here. And he said to God, here am I. And then verse 2, he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Come again? Uh, so so we have God gets Abraham's attention. I love that he, he wants to know, first of all, if I got your attention. Yes, you do, Lord. And then what, what I love about how God lays this out, he takes everything that Abraham is probably going to say if God just says, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son to me, he knows that Abraham's going, you're talking about my son, my only son, the son who I, whom I love? What he's saying is, Abraham I'm, Abraham, I'm fully aware of this. I know the connection. I know the sacrifice. I know all this. You don't have to run the list on how difficult this is going to be. I'm, I'm letting you know I'm aware of what I'm asking. You ever thought about that? What Whatever God has used to test you in your life he is not ignorant to what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he, he also knows why he's doing it. And, uh, and he's really not silent in Scripture. I don't know how many of you were here in the Bible study. Um, you know, This is not quite testing, but usually test does involve some suffering. Uh, but we actually did a standalone Bible study here, and you can go find it if you weren't here for it. Uh, and it's simply called, Why Do We Suffer? And what we take on that Bible study is this is not something God has been silent on. As a matter of fact, on what we're talking about right now, I have a copy of Sherry's book here. This has been part of, uh, of me preparing for this lesson because Sherry has in the book John, uh, Bronner, A Journey to Understand, chapter 7 talks about Genesis 22. And she unpacks it in great detail. And you know why she's able to unpack it? Because it's there. And uh, this 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 book that Sherry wrote is is saying, look, if you go into this Word of God, there's over 220 different scripture references in this book. You will find that God has never been silent on His testing and why we suffer. He's not silent on it. Now you may not know it because you haven't taken the time to study it, but He's not silent on it. And so He is letting Abraham know that He understands this. Now, the, one of the first things that that hit me when I was looking at it is that, um, that that we know that Abraham has been tested, and he hasn't passed them all. He's been tested several times. Um, I can look into my life and say I've been tested several times, and I didn't pass them all. I, I don't know about you. But d- let's, let's make this our first takeaway. Expect test. And, and I'm going to tell you this. If you... If you are, are are not expecting to be tested, then there, then you're not you don't know that much about how God works. And then the other thing, if you'd rather not be tested, you your relationship with God is probably it, it probably needs to be addressed. I mean, I wouldn't go out looking for it, but if you're thinking to yourself, "I refuse to be tested. I want to avoid being tested," then then that there's something 
going on in, in your relationship and with your faith that's not quite solidified. Uh, because what, what that means is it would be almost like you – I know men overuse sports analogies, and I do too sometimes. It would be like you standing on the sideline but hoping and praying that you're never put in the game. I don't want to be put in. I don't want out there. I've, I've actually coached before and experienced that before, and I remember thinking, why in the world have you gone through all this practice if you don't want in the game? And you know what the answer is? I'm, I don't think I can hold up out there. I don't think I'm ready. Uh, and uh, and I've had people come back to me. Of course, I'm a human. I'm not God. But I've had people come back to me and say, I'm ready now. And I'm like, eh, you needed to be ready when I when I asked you to go into the game. And, um, and you know, that, see, so you don't decide when you're ready. I decide when you're ready. And if and if I go to you and say, here, here's the test, I need you in the game, you say, send somebody else. Well, uh, we, we serve a gracious God, and hopefully that the opportunity might present itself again. Uh, but God is always willing to get us ready for whatever he expects of us. Uh, but if we decide that we don't want to be that part of that, then there's something wrong with that. Um. So anyway, we know that we should expect tests, and we know that Abraham had faced uh, many tests. He had passed some, others he had failed. And so I, I believe reading this, and I think Scripture is supporting this, the reason why God has waited till Abraham is 115 years old, somewhere in there, 120, the reason why God has not done this before now is he knows that Abraham wouldn't pass it till now. He knows Abraham's going to come through. And, and, and this, is, this is a refinement of Abraham and for God to be glorified because God has said, this is the guy that I'm going to produce this, this line that's going to lead to, to Messiah. This is the line that's going to go to the ultimate redemption, and you're going to see the foreshadowing in this of God and his son. There's a foreshadowing here. That, that God is certainly saying something that's going to be thousands of years down the road, and he's screaming how this is going to be done. So Abraham is, uh, is ready to go. But we must understand trials and temptations are not the same thing. Testing and trials come from God to refine and strengthen us. Temptation comes from our sinful flesh are from the adversary trying to trip us up and destroy us. They're two completely different things. One's from God, one is not. So don't confuse testing and trials with temptation. It's not the same thing. One is from God, one is not. And that's the reason why when you see the, the misquoted uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 14, when Paul says there is no temptation that is that is too much for you. God never puts too much temptation on you. That didn't come from him. Now, that is not that God never gives you more than you can handle. You've heard me beat that. That's one of the most abused verses in the Bible. He absolutely, He's about to get give Abraham more than he can handle. It's just not more than God can handle. If God never takes us to a place where it, it, it's not too much for us, then we don't need him. So that's just that's not Scripture correctly um, um, uh, interpreted. What, what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, is that is Paul saying, stop making excuses on why you keep falling into sin. There's no sin that's stronger than God. You're choosing to do that. It's either your sinful flesh or it's the adversary tripping you up. All right, so now we get to the part. The next thing that jumped out to me is why are we calling Isaac Abraham's only son? Yeah, why, I mean, but because what God is saying is this is the son of the promise. This, this is the son that I promised you. This is the only son that Sarah has birthed from you. Uh, you, you got off on another plan, and you got a son that we had to that we had to send away. And now there's no more confusion on where the promise is. So this is the son that I promised. This other son that I that I've taken care of. He didn't die in the desert. That wasn't my plan. This is who I see as your only son. This is the son of the promise. Ishmael's not the son of the promise. So 
yes, we know that he has another son, but, uh, but it is not the son of the promise. This is the one that God promised, and that's what that's all about. So let's look at 3 through 5. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, Uh, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him, underline that. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. So, you see that Abraham is doing this, and he's not hesitating. It's very similar to when he went, when he wasn't even told where he was going, but he went, and he believed that God was taking him somewhere. So when we're in these situations, and and hear me out, because I need to explain this correctly. I've been praying about getting this right. When we see God testing us and we see things being allowed, because they are allowed, because he certainly can stop it. We need to write then, and we've talked about this a lot in here, and you heard Steve Grissett, who uh, who we're going to pray for before we leave, who's part of this group. He's having some testing done. He's having some cardiac problems. We hope are not serious. But he sent back to me in, in the text saying, God's teaching me. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in some duress right now, but I'm learning. You know why? Because he's, he's learned all these years we've been together, He's learned that when I face a trial, I focus on, on God's promises and I focus on what he's teaching me. Now, he may or may not explain it to me, but I'm not looking to God for explanation. Now, he may, he may provide it. Like I said, there's many things in Scripture that he's very clear on what he's doing and why he's doing it, and you'll see some of that here. But, but a true test of faith is the minute that I'm facing a trial that I know God's allowing, I'm looking to him to say, what are you teaching me? What, what, am, I trying, what, what am I learning here? And I'm focusing, as you're going to see here with Abraham, I'm focusing on the promises of God. God has said he would redeem me. So if my body does die, I know that I still live forever. God has told me that he's near to the brokenhearted when I'm, when I'm suffering maybe the loss of, of my child. And, and, and then I, what do I say? I don't, I don't scream out, uh, you know, why did you do this? I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry. What I say is I know that you're in this. I know that you said, you said you'd be near to me, and, and I, I know that you're here, and you have not abandoned me. Now, I, I can't stand when somebody says, especially if they claim to be a person of faith, I feel like God's abandoned me. Well, he promised he wasn't going to abandon you. So why are you thinking that? There's no way that's it because he said he wouldn't. So, so now you get into you, you. You see what I'm talking about? You go to the things that you know about God and you cling to those. And you see Abraham, which you're going to see. He's in his mind. He's remembering what God promised. And what did God promise? This son is going to be the lineage. So something's going on here. And God's not going to not going to go against that promise. I'm just going to walk through what He wants me to walk through, and I don't know how He's going to do it. And the writer of Hebrews gives us some 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 vision of that here in a minute. But He's saying God told me that I would be the father of many of, of a powerful nation, that my descendants would be like the sand and like the stars. I'm remembering all that, and He said that the start of that would be Him giving my barren wife and my old self a son, and He's done that. And so that's step one. Isaac must be going to produce the rest of it. Now, I don't know how he's going to do that, but Isaac's going to survive this. Now, he didn't know how, but he said God's already made a promise. So think about the promises he's already made us. And you don't, you don't leave those. It, it doesn't matter. if it, 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 it may seem unbearable. It may seem unreasonable. But we should always expect what seems impossible. And Abraham knew what God had promised. So let's go to that, that what Hebrew says about this. This is one of the things that I believe is driving, and many do, and the writer of Hebrews certainly does. Uh, so it's in Scripture. So God's not even silent on what was driving Abraham. Let's go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, we're going to start in verse 17. Hebrews 11 
Verse 17, why is Abraham walking this out in such obedience? Well, here's one reason. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Notice the writer of Hebrews says the same thing in 18. Of whom it was said, though Isaac shall your offspring be named, through Isaac, I'm sorry, shall your offspring be named. Now remember, what was the promise? Through Isaac, your offspring will be named. Look at 19, here it is. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham's thinking, maybe I, he, if he wants me to sacrifice this son, I will. You know what else he's thinking? Only the pagans offered human sacrifices. Any time that you took your firstborn, you consecrated him to the Lord. If you were not a pagan, they did that figuratively through animals. They didn't literally put their their children on the burnt offering. So Abraham's also thinking, this is not God's people that, that do human sacrifices. So you know all this is going through his mind, but what's great is he doesn't sit there and refuse to go and argue and say, well, now, wait a minute. And that's, well, that's the part that gets me on the faith. Wait a minute. Isaac's supposed to produce my offspring. What are you talking about? Human sacrifice? You don't allow human sacrifice. What are we talking about? He didn't argue. He just said, I'm going about what God told me to do, and I'm just going to see how he works this out. Now, that's faith. That's a tough that's a tough step of faith right there. You do realize what's happening here. Don't lose sight of what's happening here. He is walking up this mountain with a knife in his hand and with some wood. And these are all the things you're going to need for an offering. Now, why does he have the two guys with him? Don't overcomplicate that. That's just cuz he's got a donkey. Uh, I mean, he need he needs some help up there. Somebody's got to watch the donkey. And and notice that that um Notice that that Abraham says to his servants, he says he's going to go, and the boy's going to go with him, and what does he tell them? And they'll both come back after they worship. He, he's already telling them the boy's coming back. He didn't know how. You have that kind of faith. I mean, I mean, he, he knows that, uh, that God is going to work this out. And so um, he didn't know when. He did not know how. And right now, he doesn't really have the why, but here's what Abraham knew, and this is the thing we have to cling to. We have to cling to, okay? Abraham and God had been through a lot together, and Abraham is simply ready for the test. Have you and God been through a lot together? Boy, I have. We've been through a lot together. And, and I've seen him hold on to his promises and I've seen him be so gracious, and I frankly get—I've uh, never been angry at God. I can honestly tell you that, never. I've been angry with people. I've been angry with my sin because when I, when I see the fact that, this, that testing has to be part of our lives, I get frustrated with that. I think to myself, God, I, I'm, I'm so sorry that you have to test me because I'm so sinful. I'm so sorry that I have to be refined so I can be trusted. I'm so sorry that I just couldn't be trusted without all this. I can tell you this, the trials and tribulations that I've been through, there are things that have been accomplished in my life and things that have been accomplished in others that just weren't going to be accomplished any other way. I mean, there's certain things that you're preparing for, and you go, well, I really don't want to do this, and you know what you say, but if you don't do this, you won't be able to do it. I don't really want God to bury one of my children. In order to do what I need you to do, you're going to have to. I don't really want to be real sick. I'm sorry. You're going to have to be in order for me to accomplish in you what must be accomplished. I don't want to be here. I don't want my spouse to die first. I'm sorry. 
in order for me to do what I have to do in you, she's going to have to, or he's going to have to. I don't want to get real old and not know where I am. I'm sorry. You're in a fallen creation and your body's dying. And when you get to where you don't know who you are, I'm going to draw you to me because you won't know what's going on, but you're going to impact members of your family. And I'm going to draw them to me through you being an old man that needs to be helped. And I'm sorry. That's the way it has to be done. Can you get to where you're like that? I'm sorry that you, I don't want to lose my job. I'm sorry. This job is in my way. You can't be who I need you to be with this job. I'm, I'm, I'm taking it away from you. I don't like being so dependent on other people. I'm sorry. You're too self-sufficient. Now you're not. You see, you see how this all works? And the thing is, is, you know, the thing that you get to it in Abraham here but, you know, all these things harken back to Job, don't they? And you get down to the end of it all, and you know what God is basically saying to Job? Well, he's not basically saying it. He is saying to Job. He gets down to the end of He says, Job, let me. you've given me your resume. Now I'm going to give you mine. And when it was over, what was the message that God gave Job? What is the message of the book of Job? What I did was right. I'm sorry? I'm God, and what I did was right. And you have no standing to question me. My resume versus yours, Job, yours is not that impressive. Don't, don't, don't question me. Everything that I put you through was right. Can you get there? I remember I was standing on the third baseline at Oak Mountain, somewhere around the world, don't know where that is, a, a baseball place. And uh, I guess it was child four. Yeah, it was child four. And I was coaching him in coach pitch. And I remember he came around third and he ran down the baseline and he came back to third. And I was coaching third and I saw Burgess on the back of his jersey. And if you've never got to experience that as a daddy, it's it's a cool thing. First time you see the family last name on the back of a uniform, it's a cool thing. Of course, I'd already done it three other times, but still special because it's that particular kid's time. And suddenly my heart just sunk because I was never going to see Burgess on the back of Bronner's jersey. And, and foolishly, I thought that in my mind. I'll never, I'll never see that. And God is, I'm talking about like that in my spirit, and said, the boy was never going to play coach pitch. You were robbed of nothing. That was, when he was born, he was never going to play coach pitch. What I did was right. So, so stop acting like there was some other truth he, he, he was going to live two and a half years, Rick. That's it. And one day that reunion will take place. But what I'm working right now, there, there's things that will be done in you and things to be done through Sherry, through everybody, through people that, I mean, Sherry and I got a, a text on his birthday. His birthday was Friday. And we got a text on his birthday from someone who had no idea it was his birthday. You know what the text was about? I just met somebody down here at the beach doing the beach project that is as devout a follower of Jesus as a young man as I've ever met, and his turning point was reading Sherry's book. The death of your son is the reason he's standing here redeemed. We got that text on his birthday. You think God has forgotten that we're still here? You know what he does? I didn't have to send that text to you today. Thought I would. Thank you, Lord. That was great. See what I'm doing? Don't question me. I know what I'm doing. And those things, that, that goes out in places and branches and seeds that 
I'll never see on this side of heaven. And it wasn't going to be done any other way. I can go to a men's conference where I've never been before in a city I've never been. They're somewhat paying attention because a lot of times when I go there, they don't know anything about the show. And all of a sudden, I pivot into Bronner's death. You could hear a pin drop. And people start looking up going, what? You know what the Lord says? See what I do? You have their attention now, so tell them about me. I've given you, I've given, all Satan did was to make your ministry stronger. And I knew that he didn't. So my ministry is stronger because I buried one of my kids 100%. You know what God says? See, I know what I'm doing. But you know what? I waited till it was your fifth kid, and I waited till you were that age, and I waited to that part of your life so you wouldn't embarrass me. If I'd done it with any other kids, you'd have turned on me. So I waited, and I did it in my time. Do you know when I found out that Cher was pregnant with with, Brody, with Bronner? On my 40th birthday. And you know what I said at my 40th birthday? This is the number of probation. This is the number of refinement. I'm excited about what God is going to do because he's waited 40 years for what he's going to do next. And what if he'd have walked in the room right then and said, and that's why he loved me more and he trusted Abraham more than me because he, he loved me enough not to walk in and say, by the way, I'm going to have to have that son at two and a half. I want you to sacrifice him to me. He loved me so much that he didn't even ask my opinion on it. He just did it. Abraham knows what's what, what he's been asked to do, and he's still doing it. Wow. Wow. So, 6 through 14, we see what we can't believe what we're reading. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. Now, what you think about this, he's got the knife, he's got the fire. What does that mean? Death. That, that's what we kill the animals with. And then we burn them. And we dismember them, by the way, and cut them up in pieces. And he's headed that way. Notice, because the analogy of Christ, the Son, and, 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 and the Father in the Trinity— Notice the, what's happening here. Some people will say, well, the, the, off, the, the wood represents the cross. That's incorrect because Jesus didn't carry his cross all the way up. He had to have help, if you remember, to get it there. So that's, that's incorrect. What this does represent, though, is when Jesus carried the burden of our sin. This is, our, this is the sin being put on Isaac for him to carry it up to the sacrifice. And he placed it on his own son. Now that analogy is it. Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Notice he says lamb. Where's the lamb? You see that foreshadowing? Where's the lamb? You know what's so cool? I got chills on this. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The whole world was saying, where's the Lamb? And John gets to say, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Isaac knows he's got to look for a Lamb. Why? That's what we need. That's what we need. Where is the Lamb? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. Does that excite anybody in here? God will provide the lamb. And he has, hasn't he? For the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Wow, what a vision. Wow, what a vision. Wow, what a vision. So here is Abraham rolling up that mountain completely confident that God will provide and meet every need. Every need. 
Let's turn to Romans 4 real quick. Let's go to Romans 4. Romans 4, look at this. Paul talks about this moment. And if you didn't, if you've never seen our uh, study of Romans, it's available on the Strive app or available at BurgessMinistries.com if you want to watch, uh, listen to it there. Verses 19 through 21, listen to what Paul said. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, talking about Abraham, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Look at this. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. You know what he's saying? I saw what he did when he produced Isaac. That was a miracle, and I'm fully confident in what he's going to do here. Do we have that? Do we remember the things that God has done? When they came to the place that God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. What's another foreshadowing here? Why is Isaac not fighting back? I, you know, I wonder with my boys, once they got up about you know 15 years old, I go, I go to bind them and put them on a fire. I'm not so sure that there wouldn't be some pushback. But Isaac doesn't fight back. There's no indication that Isaac is resisting this. He allows himself to be bound. I mean, Abraham is in a place of respect, but he's over 110, 115 years old. You don't think Isaac could keep him from binding him? And what did Jesus do? He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord, and I will take it up again. And you see Isaac in full submission to his earthly father as his earthly father is in full submission to his heavenly father. That's powerful. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this moment? Don't don't you know that somewhere in this process, Abraham keeps waiting on something to show up, something that is going to show that this won't have to go this far. But again, the writer of Hebrews says that one thing that he realized is that he had produced this miracle son, and he could certainly raise this miracle son from the dead if, if needed. So I, I think that's what he's kind of hanging on to as he as he goes through this. But look what happens next. But the angel of the Lord, who is that? The pre-incarnate Jesus. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, because if you don't think that this is this is um, Jesus pre-incarnate, notice how he refers to himself. Don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Hmm. So... When, when you look at what happens here, you see that um, the way Abraham is shouted at by the angel of the Lord, it's loud and it's to stop what's taking place. And the thing that I kept asking myself as I was looking at this is this line right here. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Is there anything in our lives? anything that is giving the indication to God that we do not fear him because we're withholding it from him? Is there anything in our lives that right now we are telling God, you can have most of me, but you cannot have this? And you know what he was doing? 
if there's anything that Abraham will withhold from me, it'll be his son because of all he had to go through to get him and all that it took. If Abraham is willing to give me his son, then I can trust him. And I keep sitting here thinking to myself, can God trust me? Can God trust me? Notice that um, the father and the son go up there and they do this together. Another foreshadowing. Verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. God does provide the ram for the sacrifice. But here's the thing. You know why it was provided? This is important. You know why it was provided? Because Abraham was walking right in the middle of God's will. If we are not willing to be in his will, we should not expect the provision to be provided. Because God is not going to do a work in people he can't trust. I mean, I look back before, and I, I look toward the you know the return of all this and the revelation, which we're going to get to. But we look at the revelation, and we see that this refinement of the people keeps going over and releasing Satan one more time, refining us again. And you're like, what is all this about? And I think it goes back to the garden. I will not be in the midst of people I can't trust again. They'll be refined and they'll be ready when I, when I give them the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth. We won't have this trouble anymore because I won't have anybody left but those who persevered, those who refined, and those that can be trusted. God gives his provision to those who trust and obey him. And Abraham was able to get the ram in place of his assignment. He gave him an out. Why does he do this? Why does God test us? Why? Why does God test us? Why does he do all this? Do you know one of the one of the things you see throughout Scripture that reigns supreme on the big answer to the why? Sherry talks about it at Agnosium in here. It's talked about in the Bible where she got it from. For his glory. For his glory. Go back to the, the, the story of Job again. God brings Job's obedience to Lucifer's attention. That's my guy right there. Well, he won't be if you, if you test him. And God said, oh, yeah, he will. He'll bring me glory. I was, I was sitting on the airplane. I had driven there when my youngest son, when I found out that Bronner had gone to heaven, I needed to get back from Tennessee to Birmingham to be with my wife, and I and somebody sent a plane for me. I'm so thankful for that. I get on the plane to try to get back quicker. I'm sitting there. It's pitch dark. There's a huge moon outside. And I said to the Lord God Almighty, what are you doing, and what are you trying to teach me? And... As clear as a bell, I begin to hear Scripture, and I begin to hear from the Lord. I want people to be perplexed. I want all that think you're going to turn on me right now. And when you don't, and I will empower you, you will not turn on me. And when you don't, I will be glorified, and I expect to be glorified. We're going to wipe away all this name it and claim it thing. People are saying that somehow they don't know the stuff you've been through, but they, they somehow are seeing this as one of these stories where you reject me, 
you got your little radio show, you turn to me and you submit to me. I take all the garbage you've done. I redeem you. I give you this wonderful wife. I begin to give you all these wonderful children. I've redeemed the problems that you that you've brought on yourself. And now that I've taken this platform and this show that I've given you, it's beginning to grow. You're getting more money than you've ever ever thought of coming from small town Alabama. You you're and you're looking around. It's blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing, and that's why they think you love me. And we're going to correct that. I'm going to take this from you, and I expect to be glorified. And I'll empower you to do it. And he did. And things happened that were supernatural and continued to happen that weren't going to happen any other way. We have to stop the pity party and focus on glorifying him. Enough with the pity party. This is not heaven. This is not how it's going to be. We need to think about the refinement. And we need to be thinking about passing the test. Not trying to avoid the test, but passing it. <laughs> My wife, y'all have heard me say this, some of you, but some of you new guys, I'll tell you, it was a great, I was terrible in school. Terrible. I don't know how I ever got out of school. But I never studied. I didn't do the work. I didn't like school. So I didn't I didn't have the discipline. I didn't I didn't and I remember telling my wife one day because she was a great student. And I said, "Man, I just I just struggled with test. I just never did real well with test." And how profound. She said, "Honey, all tests are hard if you don't prepare for them." You can't pass a test you didn't prepare for. No wonder it was difficult. You didn't get ready for it. And we need to be concentrating on his refinement. We need to be thinking when we're in difficulty, how can I honor the Lord versus how can I get out of this? I'm going to say that again. When we're in difficulty, we need to be thinking about, first, how do we honor the Lord, not our first thought being, how in the world can I get out of this? Let's look at John chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I know this is not a popular message today, but it is biblical. And, we, and we've got to, we got to see God, verse 56, and look at this. Man, this is good. Think about all the things that we've seen in the images. Here is Jesus himself. And we went through this and we studied John. He is talking about Abraham. And you know what he said? Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. God's going to provide the lamb. And Abraham rejoiced at the thought of that. Your father Abraham rejoiced. How can y'all reject me? Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of me because he was there with Abraham when it, when all this took place. And he is the ultimate lamb. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of the arrival of Messiah. So if you look at the narrative, and um, and, and I'll walk through the rest of it, Abraham called the name of the, of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And then uh, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. Can you believe the angel of the Lord is hitting him with that promise again? Doesn't God do that? 
Let me remind you of who I am. Let me remind you of the grace I've shown you. Let me remind you of your redemption. Let me remind you of of what the revelation has told you that is to come. Let me remind you that this isn't the way it's always going to be. Let me remind you that death has no sting. I hear these promises of God every time I'm at a funeral. If it's somebody that's been redeemed, here he is again going, remember, remember, Remember what Paul told you, oh, death, where's your sting? Remember, I defeated death. I defeated sin. Don't forget this. This is not how it ends. And here he is telling Abraham that again. What I told you is going to happen, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and your offspring shall, uh, shall, and in your offspring shall be all nations of the earth be blessed because you have, why? What have you done? Why are the nations going to be blessed through you? Because you've obeyed my voice. Are we a blessing? Not if you don't obey God, you're not. Not if I don't obey God, I'm not a blessing to anybody. I'm a detriment. But he says you are a blessing because of that. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. What about when he came back to those servants? He came walking back with his boy, didn't he? Just like he said he was going to. They didn't understand what had happened. You think they don't have a story for the walk back down? Especially Isaac. You ain't going to believe what just happened. <laughs> so uh, so they walk it back down. And then the rest of this, uh, 20 through 24, we're not going to land there because I, wa- I want to wrap up. All this is is that Abraham now is told by God that this is how all of his offspring are going to develop. And even when he goes through this list, one of the things that you'll see um, in verse 23, coming out of 22. So he's showing about his his brother's children and, and all the children that are going to be produced and how they're going to uh, fulfill this promise that God has been giving him for years. But he gets down there, and you even see that God is showing him that Isaac's wife is going to, where she's going to come into the lineage. Hey, don't worry, I got Rebecca coming for Isaac. Don't worry about that. We're, we're going to continue this on. Isaac's going to produce offspring, and, and he's going to get Rebecca, and, and we're going to go through that, that deal as well. And so all the rest of that is is now God is saying, and this is how it's going to go. I will fulfill this promise. So let's, let's look at the narrative real quick, and then we'll wrap up, okay? The father and the son acted together. There's that foreshadowing to uh, redemption. The son had to die. Now, Isaac was given a substitute, but, but in our case— uh, Jesus is our substitute. He is our lamb. That that, and um, and again, he asked, "Where is the lamb?" Told you, John the Baptist answered that. Um, and no one takes the place of Jesus, nor can anyone take the place of Jesus. The Son bore the burden of sin. That was the wood uh, that uh, that was bore. And uh, and First Peter talks about this in two twenty four that the wood laid upon Isaac his son. And uh, and listen to what he said in verse six. The Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And that is, of course, coming from Isaiah 53, 6. The fire consumed the wood, God's judgment against all sin. The, the wood was consumed, and that shows the sufficiency of Christ. And, of course, figuratively here, but for us literally, the son was raised from the dead. Death didn't touch him. Uh, Isaac didn't literally die, but he was removed from certain death. And then we look forward to what God has for us, a new approval from God. I like this, and we'll close with this. God's promises never shine brighter than in the furnace of affliction. That's Charles Spurgeon. Say that again. God's promises never shine brighter than in the furnace of affliction. Wow. As we close out today, we'll just we'll just ask the question we asked at the beginning. Can we be trusted? Can we be tested? You will be tested. And you'll be tested more than once. You're never too old to be tested. Never too old to learn. Never too old to battle. 
Are you ready to look at your afflictions and your and your trials, not your temptations, but your trials, and shift to ask the question, God, what are you teaching me? And I don't understand the situation I'm in right now, but I know who you are, and I know the promises, and I've seen you come through, so I know you're going to come through again. I don't know right now how you're going to do it, but I know you will. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this, this powerful message. Uh, be sure and pass along to Abraham our thanks. Uh, and we look forward to the time that you bring us into your place. And there we are with all these people that you've used, flawed, messed up people just like us. May we never say that you can't use us. There's nothing wonderful about us, but there's something really, really wonderful about you. Lord, I pray for those that this is the day that maybe they see you in a way they haven't before. And, and if you're in that situation, please reach out to me. Uh, Rick at BurgessMinistries.com. If I can help you in any way, I'm happy to. And thanks to all of you who have taken time to watch or to listen to this today or to be here in the room. Lord, thank you. Thank you for, for your mercy, your grace. And Lord, yes, thank you for your refinement. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.